Welcome to another Bite Side. I am Seamus Byrne, joined for a third time. I mean, do I say as usual? I mean, we're three episodes in. Nick, how are you? I mean, if you've done it three times, it's got to be normal by now. <laughs> I, right. I don't know what I'm basing that on. I've just decided that that's my new rule. Three times makes it normal. Yeah, once you get once once you're allowed to use the phrase "few" um, a few times, uh, then it's just that's just how it works. Yeah, we are um, sadly not sitting face to face like we did last time no. though, which was lovely. But yeah, it was. It was really really nice. Shortly later that day, I got in a car and I drove back to the Southern Highlands, and it was actually another perfectly acceptable drive. So you know, I highly recommend. Anybody who happens to live in the Highlands and wants to go to Melbourne, uh, you know, it's a reasonable drive. I, look, I, we're off topic now, but I, I caught, found myself on the XPT going from Dubbo to Sydney last weekend. For the, I've not been on an XPT since, come on, Nick, high school. That was the last time I was mm-hmm. on. I'm, I'm back into train travel, I've decided. That's really, really cool. I had such yeah. a good time. Such a good time so, on the train. There is like one train in the evening that I can get from Central that comes back to the Highlands that that has the little um like the ca- the car where you can go and buy some food and you're like that's kind of even though it's only you know less than two hours it still makes a big difference when you go I could have a snack if I wanted to it was so nice I caught the train it was a quarter past two in the afternoon here in Dubbo I got to Sydney to my local pub at nine o'clock at night I was already three wines in courtesy of the buffet cart everything was fantastic best trip I've ever had Brilliant. so time. yes this is Bite Side, the show about our travel and destinations. <laughs> um, mostly it's about technology and games and digital culture and all those kinds of things, just for the people who are catching up at home for the first time. Um, one of the things here at the start is, um, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times that we might touch on some loose ends. So I thought there are a couple of follow-ups worth we're throwing in. Front One from the first episode was about we touched on a Fallout 76 trial that was taking place uh, and so this whole idea of all these emergent gameplay going on where people are kind of telling their own role-playing stories within the world uh, and this particular group called uh, Fallout 5.0 I think that was their name I'll make sure and put in a link uh, but that they were holding this trial of this uh, bad guy from some uh, group called the Vultures it was interesting. I kind of followed up on it and realized that there is a whole fascinating, like, ongoing storyline attached to all of this stuff. Really? So apparently shortly after the trial began, a prosecutor went missing. <sighs> Seriously? And they're just doing these really great, like, soap opera drama stuff in the game world. It's just brilliant. So you... Yeah, if, yeah, if that stuff interests you at all, this, there is non-stop... Uh, updates going on around that whole story. So really well worth going and checking that out. No, I, look, I will on that case because, um, as I said, I think when we spoke about it, I said I might go and actually grab a copy of it and have a crack at it. I didn't have a chance to, um, but I did talk to a lot of people about it at PAX and I'm still still working on that theory. I'm just, look, between you and I, I'm trying to make myself not buy new games for a little while when I've got so many unfinished ones, which is, I think we joked last time, it's really much the we have food at home of McDonald's drive-in, but I'm (laughs) desperately trying to finish my games before buying anything new. Yeah. And now I wanted to ask you, because you wouldn't tell us, so Nick, how did your vampire game go? Uh, 
what was your actual character's uh, name or vibe? I had so much fun with that. It was absolutely incredible. So that was my first time playing a um, tabletop RPG in front of an audience. It was an absolute blast. Um, Brian, who was doing all of the storytelling, was a maestro. I've never had that much fun. Uh, I did indeed play a tenured professor of moral philosophy, Professor <laughs> Sebastian Shaw, and I had a blast doing that. It was really clever. It was a very tight game, hour and a half, and it was uh, uh, capped at an hour and a half, obviously, because... Uh, the great thing about PAX is you got to get off that stage and let yeah. someone else come in. Um, it has renewed my interest in vampire. I was really keen to see the big changes that had come through. Uh, of course, the whole idea of vampire, the masquerade is the masquerade, the titular masquerade is hiding yourself from humanity. And uh, with the updates, I've gradually thought about what that means in a world of everyone having a high definition camera in their pocket that could be uploading immediately. So they've done a very clever job at looking at how the world would have changed to match technology. And I was yeah, really right. impressed with it. I think I'm going to end up buying a copy of the the uh, tabletop RPG uh, rule book because it's been that long since I've played something like that. I, I'm really back into it, I think. Well, kind of reminds me of that whole era when, um, when we went through X Files, basically, right? Remember that was like yes. the first show that was able to start having investigators who were investigating things in two different places, and they could stay in touch because mobile phones had become a thing while that show was on the air. It's the old joke that if you look back at old Buffy episodes, there's very few bits of tension that wouldn't have been solved by them having a mobile phone. <laughs> Oh my god, 100%. That is <laughs> All right. So, oh yeah, and I had just one more thing cuz I kept forgetting the name of I think I kept calling it weird uh robot jumping around game thing. Mm. Sprocket Rocket Rumble. That Sprocket was the name. Rocket Rumble. Of yeah, one of the really cool games that I thoroughly enjoyed. Good party game that we saw down at PAX. Fabulous. It was a great weekend all round. Absolutely. So, to new things. Uh I wanted to start with something that I noticed both down at PAX and then have also, so I'm working on a project, partly this is yeah, bouncing off, I'm working on a big thing for GameSpot at the moment, looking at gaming uh, laptops, but it then just kind of spilled over in my brain to looking at gaming keyboards that are on sale in shops. And my absolute love is with having the keyboard that doesn't have the whole number pad. Off on the side. Hey, what do you if, got against that? What do you, what do you, what, what, what do you got against the number pad? Look, it is perfectly reasonable <laughs> if I'm an accountant or if I am in some way working in data entry on a daily basis. Uh, but just for desk real estate, I am like, no, if, if I just want a keyboard for gaming, I don't understand why actually so many gaming keyboards specifically add in having a number pad on them as if that's some some kind of a feature that gets used when you're playing games and it just it just doesn't i'm not a flight sim guy i don't understand like that's the only thing that could leap to my mind and even then most of those people get fancy sticks and stuff to kind of play their flight sims but so am I on the crazy pills? Like you tell me. So you, you're a fan of having the, the number pad. So it has been a really long time since I've done any PC gaming. I think, um, I just, I couldn't keep up with how expensive it was to keep my PC up to date to yeah. play the stuff I wanted to play. It just really was a big issue. And I think it coincided when we started seeing a good, 4K or pre, just pre 4K consoles happening. So I was very happy to give up PC gaming and go headfirst into consoles. But, um, 
my last good gaming keyboard would have been a Microsoft one, and we are going back over a decade now with a <laughs> number pad pulled on and off. You could actually put it on either side of the keyboard or just take it off and not have it there. Why, so why, why that isn't is that more? Why isn't, why isn't that the default now? Where were you, Microsoft? Yeah, and look, that makes perfect sense. And again, you're like, wow, someone solved it, everybody. They solved it. And, and then everyone else goes, nah, we'll just, we'll just keep taking up an extra four inches of space that your mouse would have otherwise enjoyed having access to. Um, and just kind of cause this giant fuss. And here's the one that really weirded me out was that there were some gaming laptops that have the number pad on them. And I'm like, normal laptops don't bother. Why on earth have they decided, you know what a hardcore gamer wants? They want a number pad right there, squeezing the rest of their keyboard into who, like into this tiny amount of space because somehow that's a thing they're going to use. Well, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm absolutely baffled. Did, do these people, have they not heard of the fact that we all use WASD to, to- Move around. Just, I've never heard you so outraged before. <laughs> Look, is the issue that am I missing some kind of great esports moment where number pads are now essential? No. Yes, and oh, so yes. am I. I'm All missing right. it too. <laughs> okay. Well. I so, look, we- uh, yeah, I, I don't mean to get kind of completely <laughs> – I am clearly more upset about this <laughs> yeah. than I should be. Um, but, like, I have a lovely Logitech G Pro keyboard of my own, and it has no, uh, you know, it has no number pad on it, and I have a very limited amount of desk space. It's perfect. I have plenty of room for the mouse right alongside it. If it had a number pad, there would be zero room for a mouse on my desk setup. And it's just so weird that when I go looking in the shops, there are, it's like, oh, there are 20 keyboards for gamers and there are three of them that don't have the number pad. You are flashing me back to my days at PC and Tech Authority and John Galuli measuring the, the give on a gaming keyboard, uh, getting out a microphone to get the decibel of the tacking noise of the key <laughs> going down. That man took his keyboards very seriously and did amazing keyboard reviews. Um, I don't think I ever engaged him on whether number pads needed to go into the bin or not. Yeah, I'm going to have to ring John and say, where do you stand? Where do you stand on this, Mr. NVIDIA? He will have an opinion. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) All right. But yeah, so that's enough of my rant. Um, what, what's your first topic of conversation? I kind of wanted to have a chat about the Pixel 4 because, I mean, you and I know from working together, I, I'm a big Android fan. I'm all in. And in fact, I feel like I've been mired in that ecosystem for so long. I, I don't know if I could make a move into iOS yet. Um, I feel like I've been just giving up too much. So the Pixel 4, it is probably the first phone in about two years where I've actually got excited about it. Yeah, I'm right. I'm really keen to see what they've done. And I look, I'm out of the loop a lot. I don't do those late nights, stay up to watch what's happening with, you know, phone <laughs> yeah. launches anymore. Boy, oh boy, everything I've read about the Pixel 4 has just really knocked my little cotton socks off. Um, really into what they've done in terms of face unlock. Uh, battery life seems to be particularly good, depending on who you are. It's got seen one or two dissenting reviews about that, but the majority of people seem to think battery life has been great. But they're raving about that telephoto camera on the end. And I've kind of, I'm a generation or two behind on what's happening with cameras in phones. So this will be like, I can't even think of a good analogy. It'll be going from like my pushy to a rocket ship as far as I can tell <laughs> when I try this out. I'm really keen to do it. Um, and I'm so, as I said, mired in that Android ecosystem. I have been using an Android phone that is not a Pixel. I'm missing it. It's 
Oh, I'm just going to name it. It's the Samsung. And on sorry, Bixby, I don't want you. I don't want to press a button and have Bixby happen. I don't want yeah. Bixby vision. I don't entirely know what Bixby's meant to be doing for me. I want my Android Google Assistant baked in, baked in all the way down. I've got smart speakers around the house. I'm probably going to try and get God help me, uh, a robot vacuum cleaner soon. I've noticed a few of them have Google Home integration. I've definitely got a few smart bulbs around the house. I want it all linked together. I want my phone to be able to access that immediately. I really miss having that Google experience that came from the ground up. And I think Pixel 4, I'm really keen to get my hands on. And I mean, my big complaint with a lot of the things that people like Samsung and geez, how many of the other brands are still really fighting strong at the top of that heap? But I think, like LG certainly, um, yeah, I think Motorola's still making them. But it's (laughs) funny that actually people like Motorola and Nokia have started to opt more to that domain where they say, you know what, we're going to sell a well-priced device, but we're just going to put pure Android on it instead of making you wade through our fancy custom, blah, blah, blah. Please. And that's, I feel like that is one of those areas where Samsung has been sort of, it's been pushing so hard to prove all these extra things that belong to it that, yeah, that you sort of go, actually, pure Android is in such a good place right now that it's kind of a deterrent. It, it is it, to me. It is absolutely a deterrent. A deterrent. I'm really sick of those bolted-on UIs as well. I know it's been a long time since we've had to put up with too many of those, apart from some of the Chinese brands now, uh, which otherwise, to me, ruin what is an incredible piece of hardware. In some cases, just give me vanilla, absolutely plain vanilla Android. Yeah, and look, I think the camera stuff is huge right now as well. I think you're right that if you've got a couple of years under the belt of your older device. Then now this sort of step towards the, the multi lens setup on the back of a device. Does the Pixel have three cameras on the back? I'm I pretty sure it does. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're having sort of the telephoto and having, you know, like Apple's opted for a wide angle option and things that it really actually does make a difference. And that on top of then having these sort of amazing new night mode modes built in it's like it's a really big difference compared to a 2016 2017 phone what you're seeing this year and that's interesting to me because previously uh, you know we've seen iteration 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 something had to make a jump soon and it's interesting to me that it's camera technology yeah and i mean it is funny as well that i still do hear people saying like oh it looks much you know it looks much the same what's it gonna blah, look blah. like what's it gonna look like what do you think it's yeah. gonna look like i mean and you it's know like, it is about a feature, and this is one of those hardware features that does, you know, people aren't, unless you love, 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 love photos in a really specific way, this is your camera now. And these kinds of, yeah, enhancements are a huge step for people capturing life. And the next time someone says Bixby to me, it had better be Bill Bixby, star of the Incredible Hulk from the 70s TV series, and nothing else whatsoever. Hear, hear. <laughs> Here, here. <laughs> you wanted to talk some other hardware as well, didn't you? Yes. So I have been <laughs> testing out the Sonos Move. Uh, I am a massive Sonos nerd. I have a you Sonos. You have been for years. Yeah. So I, I first encountered Sonos right back at actually Internet AU days. So that was <laughs> really like 15 years, I guess. Minimum. Yeah. And um back then it, it, like the thing that i remember really jumped out at me early on was when 
Uh, you know, they were mostly big, chunky speakers, quite expensive, but it was just the start of that idea that you can stream things to speakers. Um, and it was, I mean, right, it was pretty much before we were even thinking about video streaming being a perfectly common thing. It was like, well, that's hard, but you could have, uh, you know, a server in your house that has music on it, and then you can control that through these speakers. So they went all the way back there and then started adding all those newer features of actual streaming services. Uh, and, you know, and the really big one that caught my eye early on was when it was like a couple of years after their first kind of big Play 5 speakers were out. Back then they were called something S5s. Um, they, when they added stereo pairing, oh, and yes. it was that time where you sort of go, Wow, these people have already sold you devices. They could probably try to go the route of many other companies and go, oh, you have to buy the new one if you want the fancy new features. And, but they were pushing out software updates that made their devices better. And that was always such a cool thing. So, and they were doing that with older and older products. Like that was the great thing about Sonos is they really had, they, they let their products have a long, long lifespan. Yeah, like I, those still super old speakers, they will still run all of the latest Sonos stuff. Like the only things that they can't do are some of the newest features where they've been now building in, uh, uh you know, Alexa and Google, those kinds of things. Cause you, you know, they have to build in the microphone array in order to be able to do that stuff. Um, they, they made one false step a few years back where they released one particular generation of speaker with some microphone system in it. And it, it looked like it was that step to prepare for it, but basically the microphone tech in it wasn't right. It didn't have Ooh. that sort of the Ooh. right kind of thing. So it was like that those microphones never got turned on and were never capable of doing what the newer ones can now do. So that was, you know, their one big false step. But um, the Sonos Move is this kind of one unit that a lot of people have been hoping would arrive sometime because, you know, that whole idea of being able to have one that can sit there in a particular location. You could have it as, you know, oh, this is the office speaker or the kitchen speaker, whatever it might be. But then you can just pick it up and take it out of the house with you. You could then like drop it in the garden if it's still in Wi-Fi range and be able to enjoy, you know, listening to whatever you want to listen to. And you can then even take it completely away from the house and use it as a Bluetooth speaker when you're completely off on the road. And that's what you want, those step ups or step downs for that. And you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the portable speakers I've had, they only ever made it to the backyard. I wasn't taking them down to the park or the beach. I wanted to have something playing a bit of music while I was in the hammock in the backyard. That could have still been on my network, but because I didn't have one of those portables, like you're describing, it still had to be a Bluetooth connection. This is great. Yeah. And so I actually did manage to take it away. We went on a little family trip uh, before PAX um, down to a beach house with some friends. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is perfect. I'm going to be able to take it down. And, you know, it has all those kinds of things that you want from that sort of a speaker. It is, you know, I think it's IP65 or 54, whatever those numbers are that means it's, you know, mostly waterproof. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's happy to just get a bit of sand on it. And, you know, it's no big deal. The, the, the clever way that they've done the charging base as well. Um, is that instead of it being like a full base that it sort of clips into or, you know, and some kind of a thing like that, it, it's just a clever kind of a ring so that it's really easy to just drop it back into its spot. 
you know, and that might be that just dedicated place where in the house it is being a kitchen speaker. It's like, yep, that ring sits there. It's really quite subtle and inconspicuous. And then this big unit, and it is, it's really big. It's bigger than when I first saw the pictures, I thought it's going to be the size of like a Sonos one, which was, which is their sort of main, uh, newer one that has like Alexa and oh, yeah, you, know, you can yeah, choose yeah. Alexa or Google and all that, but it's quite small. So this one is a lot bigger and they basically said, well, we wanted space for the battery, but we also wanted it to be, and this is that cool kind of Sonos attitude. They were like, we wanted it to also just be the best Bluetooth speaker you've ever owned. And that way it's not then a trade off for saying, Oh, well, you know, it, it does the Bluetooth thing, but actually I'd prefer to take, you know, my UE booms with me instead or whatever it might be. And it absolutely like I, I use, I use UE booms in a stereo pair for a little backyard cinema setup that we do in the summertime here sometimes. <laughs> There's an old video on CNET that shows me actually setting that up one time. Um, but this is absolutely the best Bluetooth speaker that I've ever actually heard. Um, it is chunky. It is really loud. We took it down to the beach and it was a windy day. The, this is a Jarvis Bay beach. So it's not like, you know, massive rolling waves, but still with the sound of the water and everything coming in, I walked out of Bluetooth, like, my, I had my phone in my pocket and I was walking around kind of just trying to pick up how loud can it go? How far away can I get and still feel like I'm hearing the music? And I literally got to the point where uh, the music stopped playing because I'd walked out of range. Um, wow. And that was probably, you know, 25 meters away or more. Um, and it was just like, yeah, this thing can absolutely crank. And it's really, really impressive. Um so yeah, no, I just completely fell in love with it. It, it is 649 bucks. So again, it's Oof. like, Oof. you can get much cheaper Bluetooth <laughs> speakers, but it, it really does feel like, like if you have never owned a Sonos speaker, I think this is now actually an incredibly good in- entry to that market. You know, the Sonos, cause this also has all of the Google Alexa and uh, like all that stuff built in as well. So you get all of those features of their sort of main desktop type model. And then you can also have it as that one speaker that you take wherever you go. They were talking about the idea that, you know, for some of the, you know, richer type folks that, that they might know that, yeah, that they might just have this and they'll buy a second charge station to take it with them when they go to their beach house so that they don't have to pack up the charging bit as well. But the, the battery also lasts, I think, eight or nine hours. Um, so like, it's just really, really impressive. And I think one of those cases where you go, it makes sense again, why they waited so long to release it because they have always been one of those companies that go, we want to nail it, you know, and I really feel like they've, they've nailed it. All absolutely excellent reasons. I love the idea of the the multiple charging rings because that's a very clever way of taking care of that. Uh, just going back, shout out to the UE Boom. Um, I've still got a first generation one that is my car speaker. My poor Baroness car is uh, so old she doesn't have Bluetooth. So me driving the six days from uh, WA through into Dubbo was all soundtracked courtesy of cool. a UE Boom sitting in a cup holder uh, plugged in via USB so it didn't run out of battery. <laughs> yeah, and they actually made a really good point about, so like UE Boom, one of those really great, it sort of like calls itself like a 360-degree speaker, you know, and so it is mm. that thing where you can just drop one in like that. I mean, cup holder, like perfect, because it is exactly <laughs> it that size, size, and it's just going to fill the car with great music. It did. Um, 
with the Sonos thing, they they did specifically point out they they went for a directed uh, design. So it, you know, and they said they thought about all those sorts of things in 360, and they said, look, we just felt like you're probably going to mostly plonk it down and want the sound to go in one direction. Um, but yeah, I think the the UE Boom stuff. Uh, I'm a, a huge fan of that as well. Absolutely. Right, can we? I want to move on because I, I want to get on to talk cinema for a second because it has right. been a wild five days if you've been following along on social media when it comes to Marvel cinema. And it was all kind of kicked off. Well, maybe not entirely kicked off, but it all kind of hit its uh, apotheosis, as it were, courtesy of Martin Scorsese, which is not something you normally think of when you're talking about Marvel movies. He said, I thought, something fairly innocuous. He said he wasn't sure if they were cinema um, and said that he, um, oh, where's the exact quote here? Sorry, one second. I thought I had it here. Not cinema. It was That was it. All he said was, I don't think it's cinema. Yeah. <laughs> and I completely agree with you. Yeah, you can have a perfectly reasonable snooty debate about what makes true cinema. But I, I and I don't think that's a bad thing to do. I think you can draw a line between entertainment and cinema and art and fun, and I think it's okay and it's good to be able to do that. It, the backlash against this has been remarkable, and now people are coming out of the woodwork. You've now got Francis Ford Coppola saying Scorsese was being kind. Marvel movies are despicable. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where we go. Well, dude. Wow. I just, where's it going? Like, Werner Herzog's going to come forward with an opinion sometime soon? You were going to have a seance to see what Ingmar Bergman was going to think about them? The thing I, I, I feel like maybe, uh, I feel like, um, you know, Ingmar Bergman, he's, he's going to be on the side of, uh, oh, no, no, actually, no, Herzog. He's going to be on the side of Great Spectacle. Look, Herzog was in a Jack Reacher movie. He's got no right to complain about anything. Let's be perfectly <laughs> honest here. Look, the thing is, and this comes back to it, it is okay to enjoy popular art. You know, you are allowed to love those Marvel movies and think they're not cinema. This, this is, these are not, you know, mutually exclusive things. You can think they're great films, they're great entertainment. You can reserve the word cinema for something else if that's what you want. I, I worry that, how do I put this? I worry that these debates get in the way of whether or not we're enjoying it. I've got a lot of guilty yeah. pleasures. I, Marvel is not exactly a guilty pleasure. I'd leave that with the blacklist, of which I just cannot stop watching, and it is a <laughs> terrible TV show. But, you know, Marvel, it's allowed to be mass consumption, populist entertainment, and you to have fun with it and still recognise that it is not high art. But, yeah, like, my main thing would almost be that the debate is almost about how, yeah, what broke cinema, you know, because in a sense... It's it's not the fault of Marvel that they nailed the formula for making incredible blockbusters over the past ten years, you know, um, and in that they just you know, that they kind of got it right, but also with a balance. Like I will always argue for the fact that I think Marvel has done that really good job of loading in good story into that spectacle, you know, like. Each each movie, it's like, yeah, it's a popcorn fest and all the rest, but they have done a really sort of good job over that time of um, of, of making you feel something, you know, and of trying to, particularly, you know, at a time when the world is going a bit pear-shaped, they've done a good job of trying to sell that idea of, you know, what does it mean to be good and stand up for things and, you know, like, stuff that is. It's kind of fundamental 
type stuff. And it absolutely fits the spectacle format. But I absolutely feel like those movies have done a better job of tugging my heartstrings sometimes than a lot of movies that think they just, you know, that they deserve to be considered true art. I, you know, so I get what you're saying. I I have found the last few Marvel movies to be reasonably inept and I've not enjoyed them. Now, I don't know if I just got fatigue, but especially the last two Avengers films, I think I dozed off during the first one because it just felt like so much was going on, nothing was going on anymore. It was like years ago someone talking about Star Wars, the, the prequel trilogy, and they said there are no special effects in those anymore because they're just effects now. There's nothing special about it. <laughs> and when every part of a Marvel movie is nothing but a set piece – then there's no set pieces anymore. Now, I'm not saying they're bad films. I just, I found them fairly inept as filmmaking. That said, you know, uh, Black Panther, absolutely amazing. I'm probably one of the few people who'll go to the mattresses to defend Ant-Man and the Wasp. I thought that was an excellent film. I loved it. I just did not enjoy the last couple of Avengers films in particular. I will still be watching Marvel movies as they come out. I will still be looking forward to them. But it's okay to critique the things you enjoy. This is what this has got to come down to. Exactly. You're not all in or all out. It is okay to say, I enjoyed that. I had some issues with it. Yeah. And it's like, I cried like a baby through most of Endgame. <laughs> and that is great. <laughs> I loved it. I felt like, and but so much of, I think, my feeling around it was that feeling of of the journey of the entire series and and how, you know, this was sort of coming to this this place where, you know, everybody got their moment to shine and I was just happy to go for that ride. And I absolutely, multiple times, was sitting there blubbing quietly, <laughs> just being like, "This, the fact that this exists on our screens is, you know, probably a big part of what I was just in awe of. But, yeah, I think, you know, look, I was a film major at, at uni. <laughs> I am a massive nerd for all things classic uh, cinema in the true sense. But there is absolutely sort of something about, you know, Hollywood today and about the way people consume this stuff that I think means that the whole big screen experience, it's like, well, these types of movies have absolutely nailed that idea of you want to see it on the biggest screen you can see it on because it is about spectacle. And yeah, that doesn't mean there is not a place for wonderful art house cinema. Um, and it's the kind of stuff that it isn't quite so important to feel like you're basically, you know, sitting in the driver, you know, on the, on the strapped to the front of the hood, you know, zooming through, you know, whatever's happening. But like I, it's funny. I, I like I'm happy to have these kinds of arguments with people like that, but also we do all get to just enjoy what we want to enjoy, and there's no problem with that, and there's no problem with having this difference of opinion that they don't feel like it is true cinema because you're like, yeah, it is a spectacle, and there is, I, I think there is a perfectly good argument to have about why uh, why does cinema matter? What does cinema mean? That is a awesome argument to keep having and to keep exploring. 
Absolutely. We should be critiquing, we should be engaging, and we should be exploring what we consider art and not art and talking about why and also recognising about what an individual experience it is. And I probably would have been crying during Avengers as well, except after five viewings of Paddington 2, I'm not sure I have any tears left to give anything (laughs) You are a big, big fan, aren't you? Huge fan of Paddington 2. Can't get enough of it. While we're talking Marvel, I know you wanted to chat Disney Plus a little bit. So, yeah, I think they recently, like, yeah, there's been a lot of this build-up of what's it going to be, Disney bringing all of their uh, awesome properties back together across, you know, everything now with the Fox studio. So it means I'd already been like, oh, man, Disney Plus is going to be the place you can watch all of The Simpsons. Uh, but they recently did a big Twitter thread on the Disney Plus uh, Twitter Twitter handle, Twitter account, um, where they started just dropping all these classic movies. And classic might be in inverted commas for some of them. Yes. But a lot of what is going to be in that library when it launches. And there was a whole bunch of stuff in there that really did suddenly make you stop and think, wait wait a minute, this is actually going to be really, really awesome. The one that jumped out at me, speaking of Marvel, was... The 1990s, 1993 X-Men cartoon is actually going to be on Disney+. And I'm like, I cannot wait to show that to my kids. That was one of those, that was right around the time I'd maybe started reading X-Men two years before that. And so to have that cartoon appear at that time, I was like, okay, yes, I love X-Men. Um, but there is a, a huge list of stuff. I don't know if you saw any of the things that were on there. Uh, look, I, I haven't been paying too much attention to it, but I noticed that you mentioned Gargoyles a bit earlier, and I really loved that. That was a really unusual cartoon for the time. I almost didn't want to call it cartoon. It was it was beyond cartoons. It was a very clever animated series. And I, I only caught a few episodes of it. Obviously, great voice talent, but boy, I could watch that a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the voice talent, right? I think some people, yeah, if they don't know about it, like, so it is technically kind of following these, you know, supernatural gargoyles, you know, fighting good versus evil, all that jazz. But yeah, the heap of the voice talent was all basically, we've all just finished making Star Trek Next Generation. Yes, <laughs> Let's yes. all keep working together over on this project. <laughs> and it was really worth it too. It was just, it was well put together. It's a big thing when it comes to animated, and we're getting off track again, but when people are enjoying working together, it makes animated series so much better. Uh, yeah, 100%. And then. um but yeah, so I, like I had someone else, I think uh, Nathan Cox, he mentioned recently that he just did recently watch Gargoyles again and said it absolutely holds up and that there is so, m- there are a lot of aspects of it that you know, having watched it as a kid that he's like, yeah, there, there are great layers to the way that story works. Um, that means it's really, really great to revisit as an adult as well. But they also shared like a massive laundry list of every bizarro made for television oh Disney God. movie. What a list existence. as well. The really old stuff that you and I would have seen when we were kids and because it had the Disney on it, we thought it was going to be something amazing and then it turned out to be some fairly turgid fa- uh, drama about a family that didn't get on too well together and had to go on holidays and you were like oh, oh. <laughs> yeah well it also just struck me literally while we're saying this that i'm like oh, i had forgotten and i i mean how could we forget but i had forgotten about the whole um magical world of disney that like every saturday <laughs> yeah. night used to be a made for tv movie or some kind of and all these bizarre like one i remember seeing i think one of the titles is literally you know um 
and then she owned a pony or like that's like the name of one of these movies and of course hey if it's just a random saturday night fest and you're a kid and it's like hey it's a movie about a pony cool yeah nothing else we're doing at the moment look it has also spawned an hilarious twitter parody account called watch with disney it's only got a few entries in it but they're finding old um old kind of title cards from disney movies and giving them a new name like the witch who turned us into civil war reenactors and of course (laughs) they've done one they had to for 1996 movie shazam (laughs) That's right. I mean, and this is pure gold because there were some very confused responses to this parody account because there is a whole debate on the internet and conspiracy theories around the idea that Sinbad, the actor, featured as a genie in a Disney movie named Shazam. Shams, I remember it. Like, I'm not trying to be funny here. I have that Mandela <laughs> effect. I remember seeing the VHS mm-hmm. cover to Shazam. I know I do. I, yep. I, I'm aware it never existed. It's impossible, but I can tell you I remember it. And what you probably remember is the Shaquille O'Neal film, Kazam, where he played a genie. But the thing is, I remember thinking there can't be a Shazam and a Kazam. That's too confusing. <laughs> How dare they do this to us? It's just not okay, Seamus. It's not okay. But yeah, anyway. so look up Disney Plus on Twitter and you'll be able to look through a lot of these things and suddenly go, oh, that's the one thing that it's going to make me subscribe over this summer. Well, I was going to ask, will you be extending budget for it? Are you going to, are you going to have a crack at it? I actually feel like this is probably the service where we will finally start trying to manage switching on and off services. Right. Clever. Because I think one of the big things here is that, yeah, there's some of them that it's like, you know what? Like we watch something on Stan once every couple of months. So if we started treating it like, okay, this month we've got this one switched on. Let's watch the heck out of everything that's on that. Let's really enjoy whatever is on that. And then... And then when, you know, you got that feeling and you got, oh, I'm missing that other show or I want to, oh, there's new stuff coming out. Okay, we'll switch over again. And I feel like we'll then watch more stuff instead of just being overwhelmed by choice um, when we're trying to be more specific about it. So, hey, really quickly, any app developers, if you want to create an app where I can give you all of my logins for all of my subscription services and then you can tell me when I will run out per month and let me turn them on and off as I need, I'll subscribe to your app. That is a great idea. That is a really, really good idea. You could do that with anything. I'd be very, very happy with that because I've tried to look at what I'm subscribed to at the moment and it starts making me cry like it's Paddington 2 midway through and I have to stop. So <laughs> please help me. Uh, you wanted to wrap up with a bit of League of Legends news. Yeah. So, yeah, one just, you know, quick shout out to the fact that League of Legends just turned 10. Uh, they 10 held... years old? Yeah. Wow. Which part of me is is like <laughs> it is both... It feels like a long time, but also when I think back to which job I had at the time, that I'm like, that's not very long ago at all. Um, but it, but it's a game that actually has carved out such a big following that you're like, oh, it, it should feel like it's been around forever at this point, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so massive 10th anniversary celebration last week. And one of the big things that they did off the back of that was to reveal so, you know, as a company, they have just been pure League of Legends. There's been lots of rumors about them working on other projects, but they hadn't ever announced anything else. And there was always a joke about the idea that they, the name of the company is Riot Games. And then it's like, well, it, it, we need more than one if you want to call yourselves Riot Games. 
Um, so yes, uh, one great Twitter comment I saw said, ah, oh, they were so worried about naming the second game that they went straight to games two, three, four, and five as part of the 10th anniversary. So they literally announced four new games wow. that are going to be coming. Um, some coming sooner than others. Uh, almost all of them, it basically, builds a library that says Riot Games is now basically trying to follow in the footsteps of Blizzard because alongside their um you know, their MOBA, which is League of Legends, mm-hmm. uh, they have now announced uh, a card game um, based on the same League of Legends universe called Legends of Rune Terror. Uh, they had a preview event for five days uh, online afterwards. I managed to get into that for a bit, and it plays really well. Great part of that card game is that they are specifically targeting a business model where there are no random packs. So it is not about trying to sell you, you know, a thousand packs in the hope of opening the right pack. That whole gray area of card packs versus loot boxes <laughs> It's not that gray. It's more that card, you know, Magic the Gathering <laughs> did loot boxes in real life in, in, in the form of card packs. Um, but yeah, they've got a great model to say, you know what? We don't want that to be part of the experience. Um, so that's a really cool idea. When you pay money, it's going to be because you are specifically unlocking either like a, you know, a set of cards or specific cards so that you, you you're just never going to get kind of screwed over in that sense of having to buy. A hundred packs in order to get what you, you know, that one card that you still need. Um, so that's been really cool. Then they've also announced, uh, that both that card game is going to be on mobile as well as desktop. Then they announced a new version of League of Legends that is going to be on both mobile and console. Wow. And that's a really clever idea. Having console version and mobile version essentially being that same speedier version of the game and they really emphasize that idea that it's a ground up rewrite it's not a port it is about that idea that for for a lot of people they are like i love the game but i don't have 40 minutes to invest in one game anymore um so having a format that is more about a 10 to 15 minute experience with sort of simpler controls but still all of the depth of the normal game you know, really really great thinking and again they just did so much work in this big event that they held to emphasize that they're like this isn't just a cheap new thing we've been working on it for a really long time and then just as throwaway mentions they were like oh and we're working on a fighting game and we're working on a class-based or character-based shooter so a little bit almost looks like halfway between overwatch and csgo um and and then they hinted at an esports management game oh (laughs) (laughs) and you're like Actually, that sounds like fun. If you don't care about football, but you care about esports, why not play the management sim? Uh, and then finally, they also, it was like just a little hint. They didn't even mention it. It was just in some of the kind of screen, you know, video bits that it looks like some kind of a, uh, Diablo style dungeon, you know, running around the world type game, but again, quite similar, uh, based on the same League of Legends universe. And they announced there's going to be an animated series based on the whole Rune Terror world that all this stuff exists in. So they're just like blowing out this idea of going, we've got all this lore that we've now had 10 years of thinking about. We're going to really 
expand out how you can enjoy all this stuff that we've been making. And it's like that just all in a one hour brain dump on a live stream. It was nuts. Oh, I'm so impressed by that. And it's like a huge congratulations. Obviously, I think that's a really smart business model of waiting until your property has hit a point where you're really comfortable with it. You know what you're doing with it and then expanding it. And you know, God bless them for taking a decade to do that. And also a big shout out to League of Legends because I've only played it once back when you and I were working together and we got invited out to right games to have a crack at it yeah um and it gave me my grandpa simpson moment where i literally thought i was the other character on a screen and couldn't work out why <laughs> nothing was happening when i was clicking friends lead until uh one of the games what people came over and said you died a while ago you can stop clicking now <laughs> yeah the- <laughs> <laughs> i forgot that <laughs> so um thanks thanks so much right <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah, I think they have. They've done a, a great job on sort of building this thing, uh, building all this up. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, uh, uh, exactly as you say that I think waiting until the right moment. And it's just worth saying that apart from Fortnite and its explosion in the last couple of years, League of Legends is played by more than any, like more players, uh, actively play that game every month than any other game. So, yeah, and it, and it held that title for years. So it's definitely one of those things where they built this massive fan base and they, like, in some ways, mo- a lot of people have never even heard of it because they have only cared about serving the people who care about it. God bless them. Seriously, yeah. I'm, I might even actually have a crack at the one that's um only 10 for 15 minutes long because I think it's what um, World of Tanks did really well was those short games that you could have a bit of time yeah. for. Be very keen to do it. Um. I know we're not thinking of next week just yet, but I actually have a task for you for next Ooh. week's show. All right. I need you to watch Watchmen, the TV series. I need you to okay. watch at least one episode of it because yep. I desperately want to talk about it, but I did want to give it some time to be a little, well, it only came out last night, so I'm sure a few people haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I'm giving a spoiler warning now. I want to talk at least one episode of Watchmen next week. Awesome. I love it. Let's do it. And that's a, this is a good way to kind of start wrapping up the show and point out if, uh, you know, if you people want to send us in comments, if you want to tell us what you're thinking of Watchmen, uh, if you've started watching that series, maybe you have thoughts on some of the other drivel that we've been sharing with you all today. <laughs> 10 keyless keyboards. What do you think? Uh, Marvel and cinema. Please share your comments. You can reach out. Uh, at Byteside on Twitter. Um, I am, we are like at the Byteside on Instagram, uh, Byteside on Facebook. You can also email ask at Byteside.com. And I'm just going to say right now, I've been starting a little bag of trinkets and tchotchke things oh, that we get yeah. given out. I'm going to do lucky dips for people <laughs> who send good questions. You could Sold. get anything from, you know, an Overwatch stubby holder to some kind of a weird key ring. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of stuff and <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think we will have, if no, even if nobody reaches out next week, Nick, I will do you a lucky dip next week. Thank you. And we'll get the ball rolling and show people just how amazing some of the things hiding in the lucky dick bag will be. Cause you know how much I love that stuff on my desk. <laughs> That's right. You can never have enough and you will never take it out of the packet. I will never take it out of the packet. Seamus, we'll talk next week.